welcome back to the Minas in Paris podcast. The podcast is all things about travel, be it destinations, customs, food, technology, international intellectual curiosity, or exploring the world. I'm Zen, and with me on this beautiful spring day is Emily. Hello, hello, hello. Hey. And in the house is Kristen. Bon dia. Hello. It's more than I know in Portuguese. I know. And, and we have one more, and it's Lee. Hello. Hey, nice to be back. Hey, Lee. So, Lee, our favorite host at large, has just come back from Portugal, the country, not the man. And we're excited to hear about her favorite things to do there so we can put them on our list so when we go. So, Lee, before we hear from our sponsor, why don't you give us a teaser about some things that you experienced? I think you said it, it's a glute glute workout. Yeah. Well, at least <laughs> Lisbon, Lisbon and Porto, for sure, are total glute workouts because everything is uphill and medieval stairs. Um, <laughs> yeah, for Long sure. Yeah. And, and thank goodness for riverfronts because they always help me find my way since I don't speak Portuguese, but really the true star in all of it is the pastries and the wine and the seafood, like literally Ah, so, so, so much good food. Um, but before we go too far, let's take a quick sponsor break. At 21, Steve Jobs founds Apple computer. Colonel Sanders is 62 when his first KFC franchise opens. Success can come at any age. Need help jumpstarting your success? With thousands of courses and 60-plus certificate programs, UCI Division of Continuing Education can help. Courses are offered every quarter, so start today at ce.uci.edu forward slash amazing. Welcome back. So before we let Lee tell us all about the greatest and coolest things to do and to eat and to drink in Portugal, as normal, we have a short history lesson for you. So Portugal is bordered by the Atlantic Ocean and Spain and has over 3,000 hours of sunshine per year. How much do we get per year? I don't know how to compare. No, calculation, I don't even know. (laughs) How many hours um, are exactly. Okay. Well, they get 3,000 sunshine hours and they have a mild climate um, and 500 miles of Atlantic Ocean beaches. So it's a great destination all year round. With roughly 10 million citizens, the population density is at its greatest in Lisbon, the capital, and its suburbs where 1.9 million people live. Uh, the second largest city in Portugal is O Porto in the north. Is that different than Porto? It is Porto. Is it? It's the same. It is Porto. Okay. Okay. So in 1139, if you can wrap your head around that year, um, Portugal became a kingdom but was not officially recognized until 1143. And its border with Spain has been unchanged since the 13th century. At this time, its economy surrounded fishing and trading with other countries. Portugal at this time was also known for its exploration, which was the foundation of the Portuguese Empire, which included parts of South America, Asia, and Africa. In 1910, the Kingdom of Portugal came to an end and became a republic. 
Shortly after World War One, Portugal realized, released, excuse me, its colonies in Africa to be on their own sovereignty. These countries include Mozambique, Angola, Guinea-Bissau, Cape Verde, and Sao Tome and Principe. Um, East Timor in Asia declared itself independent from Portugal on the 28th of November 1975, and in 1999, Macau was returned to China. Portugal entered the European Union in 1986. So you could probably hear I was learning this as I was reading. So we have a list of Lee's favorite places that she visited in Portugal. It sounds like she provided us with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are we going to start out with here? Um, Well, the capital, let's just talk about Lisbon. So the Geronimos Monastery. That was absolutely amazing and totally worth um, going out to see. The great thing is in Lisbon, um, especially they've got some great uh, streetcars or trams. And so you can actually take the tram from the heart, like the visitor or tourist part of Lisbon out to the monastery. Or if you're like me and you've eaten way too many pastries um, and the <laughs> egg custards that they're famous for, uh, you walk it uh, and it's a nice hearty, like, <laughs> like hour long walk. But the monastery oh, wow. is just absolutely wow. breathtaking. Um, it is a World Heritage Site, uh, but w- I mean, you can go in and see the church. It's like the chapel for free, or you pay 10 euros and you see the monastery. Monastery is totally worth it because you can see where the monks lived. You can see that this, the architecture is gorgeous. Um, it's just very peaceful. Uh, the views are outstanding. Mm-hmm. And around the monastery are also a number of museums. So um, there's like a... Uh, a planetarium that's out there, a museum Ooh. for a maritime museum, um, a fantastic bakery. There's just throw a rock and you hit a great bakery. Um, but but it was just it was a really cool way to see a different part of Lisbon and capture a piece of history that was just it was spectacular. And it's it's there are okay fun facts here. So back in the day and this is i want to say 1700 something um i think i want to say it's 1711 is hitting the number that's coming to me um a while ago were, a while ago um yes up until halloween let's just say in 1711 there was actually more than 76 monasteries and um convents in lisbon so a lot of them and then there was the famous earthquake and when the earthquake happened, it, now the earthquake happened on All Saints Day at 9 a.m. And for okay, am I are, really ignorant or they get earthquakes there? Yes. I thought it was like the Pacific Rim of Fire. I, I guess I didn't realize they get them over there. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's on the coast. So, I mean, I think co- lots it, of coasts have it's it. It's the coast. It's the fault. Maybe the fault lines. I'm no geologist. I'm not going to I have no okay. idea. <laughs> okay. They get yeah. earth- they earthquakes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So something's going on. Yeah. And this was a significant <laughs> one. So, and it was, it, imagine everything that could have gone, oh, anything that could have gone wrong did. Okay. So it's, mm-hmm. the earthquake happens and it's on All Saints Day. So this was when a whole bunch of people were in church. It was 1755. Right. 
So, and at the time in 1755, they are lit up with candles. So, and it's a major. Oh no. So you've got this major earthquake that happens with the earthquake came a tsunami. So literally people were running out of the main part of the city, a main part of Lisbon and heading away from the buildings that were falling down. So they went to the coast and they see that the tide has gone out really far because the tsunami comes in and then just totally wipes out a whole bunch of people. Meanwhile, in the heart of the city, because of the earthquake and it was All Saints Day, there's massive fires and the fires raged for over a week. I think it was like two mm. weeks. So 90% of Lisbon is gone, just gone. Oh, um, no. So what they, so all of that is a total bummer. Um, but what makes the monastery so this monastery journal is so spectacular is the fact that it's they've got so much of the elements of the original monastery in it so that was a really long way to say that um because it was built in the 1500s and you know parts of it are still there and so it's, it's just amazing so um i'm also reading that it's the resting place of the explorer vasco da gama Mm -hmm. did you see like his tomb i'm assuming yeah, it's you. You can't miss it because it's literally like as you walk into the main part of the monastery, um, and so yeah. So they've got like a, a raised crypt for him, and and wow, Portugal, cool. and Portugal really they do a, especially Lisbon and Port, Porto, the two places I spent the most time. They they will frequently remind you. Oh yeah, we've got. You may hear of Christopher Columbus, but we had all of the other big explorers, you know, and they they take their. <laughs> Their their I don't think history the flex they think it is anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Good for them. Yeah, yeah. But with the discoveries that they made and things like that, um, with the Horn of Africa and stuff, it was it was pretty. They're like, oh yeah, remember we we may not be much now, but we used to be quite the thing yeah. back in the <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, sure, made their mark with Brazil, you know. Well, and the that's, fact that Brazil speaks more, there's more Portuguese speakers in Brazil than there is in Portugal. Right. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I mean, there's more English speakers in America than England. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was is that for a brief while, the capital of Portugal was in Brazil. Um, huh? because there was, there was an <laughs> uprising. And so the monarchy pretty much said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to just go to our lands in Brazil and kick it there. And so I think it was for a good, like two years that they just, I actually remember reading that. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely. Wild. So much. <laughs> well, and here's where, okay, stupid American, I'm just going to own it. So, you know, I'm going <laughs> Portugal and people are like, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do as far as the language? I said, well, I can muddle by with enough Spanish and I think Portuguese is close enough to Spanish. I can figure it out. No, here's the deal. Portuguese is 200 years older than Spanish. So I'm, I'm, sta- I'm in a lot of group, you know, I did a group tour and I'm in a lot of like places and stuff. And I keep hearing what I think is German, but it's not German. Well, no, it's Portuguese. Portuguese actually sounds much more Slavic and throaty than romantic, like a Spanish or a French. So it totally screwed me up for a good two days because I'm like, why are there so many freaking Germans? No, 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 those are <laughs> Portuguese. Just kicking it there, and it's that's what Portuguese sounds like. Oh, my gosh. That's really interesting to hear. I mean, I wonder if there are dialects because 
I actually, I used to work at this English language school and our student worker was Brazilian. She spoke Portuguese. And when people would come and they didn't speak very good English, there'd be a lot of Spanish speakers. And she would say, speak to me in Spanish. I'm going to speak back to you in Portuguese and we'll figure this out. And they were able to do it just fine. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I I wonder if there are like... um, They sound similar in some ways, but different. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're still distinct languages. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Very, very neat. Wow. Um, so tell us about the Balem Tower. Wow. That was just fascinating because it is, depending on, it's it's one of the oldest towers that was, it was a watchtower back in the day when they were defending themselves from usually the French. Uh, there's a, the, the, the Portuguese. The dang French. I know. Well, Napoleon invaded them. You know, they were talking about the like all sorts of things. Invaded a lot. <laughs> invaded a lot. Yeah, they weren't special. Uh, but this tower is no. over a bridge, um, over a, a modest bridge, and it is just it is so cool because it's been preserved so well from the 1500s um, that you really do get a sense of of what it was like. They have some cannons. They have um, where you can, a lot of stairs, a very, very narrow staircase where literally it's one person at a time going up to the top and you're kind of like, you know, waiting around the corner to see if anybody's coming down. Uh, but it was, it was so neat because it's great views. Um, just, just a really interesting place and, and very echoey, but a, a cool place to kind of get a sense of the history, get a sense of the culture and also kind of be on the water. Oh, nice. I'm reading too that this is a symbol of the age of discovery and it was built in the early 1500s. So it really seems like that was their their golden years was the exploration and maybe 1500s-ish when they were probably at their peak game. (laughs) It was... That was the early part. Like I mean, a-, a lot of their stuff they did, in, actually, all the way up to the 1800s, late, like, late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, and then when you think about what was happening in the rest of the world around that time, I mean, because that's when, you know, our our country was starting to come into its own and other countries were, were kind of getting out there and colonizing. But really, yeah, I mean, they were in the, you know, earlier part when other countries were, you know, I mean, we had the, you know, all sorts of crusades and crap like that going on. Uh, yeah, they were doing quite a bit of interesting stuff. And Lisbon is the second oldest. I mean, this is one of the things that I was like, wait a second, I got to check your facts. Lisbon is the second oldest <laughs> capital of Europe. Um, Lisbon wow. is the capital and what's the first, you know? Athens. Oh, Athens. Wow. So, wow. but older, but when you think about it, Lisbon is as a capital, a continuous capital city is older than Rome. Um mm-hmm. Wow. So that's one of those things that like their history is very, very deep and we just don't necessarily think about it now. Right. Right. That's pretty wild. They were a player. (laughs) They were they were a major player. Yep. I mean, because you always heard about the Portuguese sailing ships and you know all that type of stuff. But because they're no longer like a world power, it's just we I just remember all from my Elementary school right. more than anything else, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, well, so when we think about our memory of Portugal in the past 20 years, I mean, they were one of, as they say it, one of the you know, the pigs countries. So when we think about the global recession back from 2008, 2009, you had Portugal, <clears throat> um, Ireland, Greece, and Spain who were all really hit by the recession. Uh, back in 2008, 2009. And so they are starting to rebuild themselves as as a European country right now as well, as an as economic, yeah. I should say. That wasn't, I think that was related to like giving everyone loans mm-hmm. from the United States. I mean, it wasn't really necessarily entirely their fault, but in the United States, uh, you know, actually, believe it or not, PIMCO, I believe, in um, Southern California, one of the things is they were loaning money out to anybody who asked for money. And then they realized, oh, some of these countries are not as credit worthy as we thought they were and start pulling back on them. And then all of a sudden, everyone owed money, you know, so. Okay, but next one up, I think, is um, St. George's Castle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell us about the roaming peacocks. I did not realize they were roaming peacocks. Neither <laughs> did I at seven o'clock in the morning when I accidentally found St. George's Castle. So it's my last day in, in Lisbon and I was in every morning I go out walking and stuff. And on my list of things that I might want to see was St. George's Castle. And I, I didn't think, well, I didn't get to it. But where it's located is in a, a, a part of Lisbon. It's called Alfama, which is a really it's a cool kind of district because they, they really embrace their history and they're they're also like down by the riverfront and stuff. So anybody who's like followed me on social media, they saw that everything is uphill in Lisbon and Porto. And so I'm walking up this hill, walking up this hill, walking this, up this hill. And I see this like really significant wall. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And as I got closer, I realized, oh my gosh, I found St. George's Castle. Well, they didn't know it was lost, but I did. Um, and so I'm wandering around and it hadn't quite opened up. Like the actual museum part hadn't opened up. And then I hear this screeching and I'm like, that sounds familiar. And sure enough, there's four peacocks just roaming around doing their thing and yeah so they had <laughs> roaming the ground um really not giving a, a well they, they frequently give lots of crap but they don't give a crap about what's happening to the people around them <laughs> um but it was just it was really neat because there's this ca- like literally you're walking around and then all of a sudden there's this plop there's a big old castle and so within the castle i mean they've got underground chambers they've got cannons i mean and you really do get a sense of of the the it's not so much majesty, but the history of this castle as a, as for defense. I mean, cause it is high up on a hill and you can see the entire, the views there are spectacular. Um, and so it was really neat to stumble upon. Uh, and it's, and it's been there for a while. I mean, I believe it was built during the, the Roman time. I mean, so it was protecting them against the Rome Romans, um, the Moors. I mean, that it's got that Moorish influence with the arches and stuff. So it was, it was really a neat thing to, to stumble upon. Love it. Nice. And up in that area was, um, I fell in love. I mean, everybody is, you know, there's of all of the trams, there's one in particular, and it's the number 28. Um, Tram 28 is that route just gives you the best kind of views of the city because you can, you go along um, the river, you can see all of it. It it just takes you from one end of town to the other. And what's great is it's like one end of it is in the area of St. George's Castle. So you can jump on there and then go 
all the way out. Um, and you're, you're in like you know, Barrio Alto and Baixa and stuff like that. And so you can really kind of get a sense of where everything is. And so everybody, if you, if you pick up any sort of touristy tchotchkes or things like that with the cable cars on it, chances are it's going to be cable car 28 because that's the route that everyone's trying to take. Oh, wow. Interesting note. I wanted to ask earlier, I think you mentioned the pastry shops. What pastry? It's the egg tart I've heard, but, you know, is there the best? Did you find like your favorite or best egg tart or are there any other pastries that are must tries or overlooked? Oh, my God. Specific to the area? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Now, here's the weird thing. Like the egg tarts, like every you find them all okay i'm going to say all over but when i say all over it's really the three cities that i went to which was lisbon (laughs) sintra and porto so who knows there could be some remote village where they're not talking about egg tarts but everywhere i visited (laughs) everybody was talking about their egg tarts and where the best egg tarts are and, and and all that sort of stuff but they are slightly different based on wherever you like each city or region will do them slightly different. So there could be, you know, a little bit more nutmeg or something like that on them, um, which makes them a little bit different. My favorite place that I went to, um, and I'm going to totally butcher this, but it was actually out by um, Geronimo, the the monastery was called uh, Pastries di Bellum. So in Bellum, because not because it's by the the fortress, but that that district in Lisbon is called Bellum. Uh, wow, it's almost it reminded me of going to uh, when you're in New Orleans and you're in the French Quarter and you go to Cafe du Monde. It's like the Cafe du Monde of these egg egg tarts and other things. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a whole restaurant you can get. I mean, you can get takeaway if you don't feel like waiting for a table, but they turn the tables over quickly, and everybody's getting the egg tarts there as well as other stuff. Um, and then, of course, you're getting coffee, too, because, you know, you're you're just there. Uh, but that was my favorite place. But that, that didn't prevent me from doing extensive research all over the place. Um, I will say that there was another good one that was very well known in Sintra. Um, and that one, uh, it was another small place. I happened to luck out because it was super, super rainy when I went. So the normal lines weren't as long as they typically are. And that place... Um, was called Casa, my apologies to anyone who speaks Portuguese, uh, Casa Fundada. And that one had been around since 1862. And it, once again, it's a restaurant, but they're like, yeah, we've been making these egg tarts for longer than your grandparents have been alive. You really want to try them. <laughs> was it like touristy? S- yeah. Um, Lisbon, not so much because it's the capital city. Like, yeah, there were a bunch of tourists in the main parts where I was, but I was in the, a touristy kind of part of town. Um, Sintra, I lucked out because it was freaking pouring when I was there. Um, <laughs> right. And so in, in, where Sintra is located, it's about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Lisbon. And Sintra is known as a quaint medieval town. And it's basically where the royalty and the nobles back in the day built their cali- their castles and their palaces to escape the riffraff of the capital city, Lisbon. So a, it's just close enough for tourists to go out there for a day trip if you want. I decided to spend the night. And so in the pouring rain, I took the train, got horribly lost. Like literally my Airbnb was only supposed to be a 10 to 15 minute walk. I made it into an hour and a half. Um, and thank goodness. <gasps> oh, no. It was, it was epic. Um, 
<laughs> turns out for a, a pretty much that hour and 15 minutes I was lost, I was p- circling my Airbnb because my phone kept saying I was within 15 meters, 20 meters, <laughs> and yeah, there it was. Um, and a, a kind stranger helped me find it. But anyways, um, because I was there when it was raining uh, and I had toured one of the palaces there, there was nobody. Like I literally had the palace to myself for the first 45 minutes. Um, and that wow. is the, the national palace, uh, which I can talk about in a minute. But so I lucked out. Now, when I left the palace and I was heading back to, to Lisbon to go to Porto, uh, the sun came out. It was gorgeous. And I saw four tour buses rolling up. And it's oh. a small town. So imagine, you know, going to someplace like um, Avalon and Catalina or something like that. Like if, if, if it's not busy, it's, it's an absolute delight. So I love Sintra. And, but I, in talking to other people who've been to Porto before, uh, not Porto, Sintra before, they said, yeah, it was wall to wall tourists. And I was there at the wow. end of March on a rainy day. So it's, it's still the off season. I can imagine June or July when lots of folks are on holiday that place you'd just be throwing elbows front left and center but i once again happy for the rain worked in my favor nice cool did we ask about the uh saint anthony church yet i can't that wasn't on the list we haven't spoken right yeah it's on the list i don't think we talked about it yet well and that was one of the fun facts i learned just from hanging out there because every as a recovering Catholic, St. Anthony, you think St. Anthony of Padua <laughs> is in Italy. So uh, I'm like, wait a second. They're like, this is, and, and I was kind of walking around and I see this church because I walk into a lot of churches and it was the birthplace of St. It was a church built on the birthplace of St. Anthony. And I'm like, how the heck? No, he's from Padua. No. See, what a lot of the Catholic, we recovering Catholics do is we tend to name people, our saints for where they die and not where they're born. So... Lisbon's is St. Anthony because he's like, he came from us people. Uh, And so, yeah, so it's a beautiful church. Um, It's, it's not huge. It's, it's a big medieval church, of course, but it's, it's beautiful. And they, they kind of celebrate the light, you know, the birth and life of St. Anthony. And it's, it's located once again, near um, one of the, uh, near a convent that was destroyed in the 1755 earthquake, but they actually left the ruins of the convent up as its own kind of memorial to those who died. Um, and so uh, unlike other places that were either rebuilt, they chose to leave that as it is to, to kind of say like, okay, no, this is a real part of our, of our history. So did you get like a little trinket to put in your car? I, I got, I, I got a medallion to send to my very Catholic mother. Um, because you know, and and she's got, you know, all these medallions that she either has in her, you know, she keeps, you know, Christopher in her car for travel and every once in a while comes out and stuff. So, uh, so yes, I did get one for her. Some people will put St. Anthony in their car because St. Anthony is the finder of lost things. things. So like if you, yeah. So if you put it in your car, you'll never be lost. (laughs) (laughs) Still, Yeah. So, anyways, I was just wondering, she you know, do you see these? Elena, yeah, yeah, Elena needs the patron saint for Saint Speed tickets. Like, that's what she really needs. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. You're like, lost is not a problem. She's got her GPS, but yeah, she's got a heavy foot. So, we'll have to figure out who that saint is. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just. There is one. We just had to find it. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, Centro so, was so cool. So I got a question. Was so when you were there, um, just like the United States, I'm assuming, was there something very regional food wise to Lips, Lisbon or uh that you found, or was it more homogenous because it was a small is a smaller country? You know, they are really, really big on their seafood. No surprise. And the big thing that they have is codfish cakes, which sounds like, oh my gosh, that sounds gross. They're delicious. They are, imagine like a, a, a fist, well, my kind of fist size fritter with, you know, the, the codfish is kind of ground in and then they put, put goat cheese on the inside. So, and then, you know, a lot of the kitschy places will serve it with like a, you know, a tasting of port. Um, so you get the full experience. Those were delicious, but a lot of, you know, I kept seeing these signs for what my bad pronunciation, Bacalhau, and I'm like, what is that? Well, it's cod. So yeah, they're really proud of their cod, um, port for port, you know, port wine, which started out there in the port city because, uh, in Porto, um, that's a whole nother sorted story. Um, they also have this, they call it like a sour cherry wine liqueur, um, that they, they sell in a lot of little, I don't know, like stands and stuff, Jinha. Um, and you, you can get it, you know, cause you're touristy, you get it in a little chocolate cup and that's delicious and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. that was good. Uh, well, anything with chocolate. I mean, let's just be honest. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, but they just got so like the pastries are just like, like part of me wants to find a Portuguese bakery out here in California. And then part of me is like, we're better off not finding a Portuguese bakery out here. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not walking up all of the hills that I was before. <laughs> but doing that, the port, like, the, you know, when you're in Porto, now this is like one of those, um, I, you think of port wine when you're in Porto, but the irony is all of the port tasting rooms or caves or cellars, as they call them, are across the river, across the Dora River and in Gaia. Gaia. Um, so you're technically not even in Porto, but you're across the river from Porto. Um, but it was interesting because I'm looking at all of these major, you know, all, when you think of port wine and all, you know, all of the major players, all of the port wine people sound or companies sound British. And I'm like, you know, this doesn't sound like a Portuguese name. And uh, I took a tour of one of the, the port wine folks and, and they explained, yeah, we were really good at growing the, you know, we have great vineyards and, and stuff like that. Um, but you know, having the wine and what they ended up doing, the thing that sets port wine apart from other wines is that they fortify it with alcohol, a, a stronger spirit, um, which make stops the fermentation. So it's sweeter, um, but also increases the alcohol content, which makes it delightful, but also a little bit deadly, not deadly. I shouldn't say deadly, but just like, you're not going to sit dangerous? down and pound. Yeah. Dangerous. There we go. Um, and so it was because they had such a strong alliance with the British because, once again, as I said earlier, um, there were the Portuguese had a few run-ins with the French and needed some help because they're not a really big country. And so they would call on their friends, the Brits, to help out. And as one tour guide said, there's nothing the Brits like more than a good fight with the French. And so they had, a, <laughs> they had this really tight alliance over hundreds of years um, with the British. And so the British actually helped them with exp- you know, form the, the companies to help them export their port wine around the world. Wow, that's very fun. <laughs> and here's one of the dumb thing that I, you know, I always thought you buy port wine and like other red wines, even though there is a white port and rosé port because rosé all day. Um, 
you, they actually said, stop saving your port <laughs> and, and, oh. and holding on to it because you're made like we age it for you. So by the time it goes in the bottle and you buy it, they said, you know, of the five major types or varietals of port, there's only one that you can age and that's their, you know, that's titled reserve. Um, but unless it says it's a reserve port, you got to drink it now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, note to self, because I've got like 15 bottles of port that I keep thinking I'm <laughs> aging that I'm actually just totally screwing up. Interesting. Nice. Okay. How, I don't know if you mentioned, but how far away is Sintra from Lisbon and also Porto? Like how far are all these, I guess, main hubs from each other? Yeah, and how does he travel between them? Um, I, Sintra is about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Lisbon. And so I took the train. Um, I love okay. Mason trains and trains are fantastic, mm-hmm. especially in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, Sintra to Porto is a little over three hours, but there's there was no train that day, like when I wanted to go. So I basically had to backtrack back to Lisbon. And so from Lisbon to Porto is about four, four and a half hours. Um, and then just super easy because you get into a ma- you know the major train station in Porto and the metros within there are super good. And they have a, a cable car system, not as well recognized in Porto as in like Lisbon, the cable cars are just kind of, it's kind of like being in you know San Francisco, but, uh, but they did have them in, in Porto as well. Cool. Nice. Beautiful. Is there a big um, like, Moorish influence in the area, like Spain has? Yes, a significant throughout Portugal. Um, and the, and you oh, see yeah. it in the architecture, um, uh, the arches, mm-hmm. the archways, um, the tiles. I mean, and even the, the, the castle that I toured in Sintra, the National Palace, um, it's actually six palaces in one, <laughs> or six castles in one what? palace. Um, <laughs> Because the original, you see part of the tour included part of the original castle, which was built in the 1200s. And it was, you wouldn't even call it a castle. I mean, it was just like big stone building rooms. And it was so unsexy. I mean, the bed was like <laughs> mini twin size bed with straw and stuff. And then over, uh, over six different centuries, different, you know, as different families and monarchies were coming on board, it gets more and more ornate and gorgeous. Um, and you can see how the Moorish influence started to, to, to come in. Where you really saw the Moorish influence, um, not only with the tile, but really with this stunning gold um, in, in a room that was literally called the gold room, was the Palacio de Bolsa, <laughs> which is in Porto. Now, when I tell people I went to the Chamber of Commerce in Porto, people just look at me like, like what? Like, it sounds so unsexy. Yeah. Um, and up until the 90s, this Palacio de Bolsa was their stock exchange. It started out as their stock exchange um, because Porto was a, a heavily trade, you know, it, it was built on trade. Um, and they decided that they needed to, you know, a, a major building to regulate trade. And then, you know, and then, it, it eventually morphed into the Chamber of Commerce, but was just gorgeous. It took like 49 years to build this place. Um, and 
one of the rooms is this, they, they call it the uh, Arabian Hall because it is gold. There's so much freaking gold all over the place. <laughs> there's gold in the ceilings. There's gold in the columns, the floor. Like Love that hall took, I want to say it was nine or 18 years. I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. Now here's where it gets kind of, so I tour this, you know, Palacio de Bolsa, the, the, you, you, can't walk through it. You have to be on a tour because it's still an acting chamber of commerce um, where they have quarterly meetings and all this stuff. And one of the rooms that we saw on the tour was their, their boardroom where they had pictures, portraits painted of past directors. And the, the most recent portrait um, that they had up was a, a, of a man relatively recent. And they said, well, he had to step down uh, because he, he, he became Portugal's mayor and our current director, we don't have a picture of him up portrait up for him because his, his time isn't up yet. Okay, great. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and so just kind of look around and then you see all these other rooms and they're really cool. Uh, and then I left there. I left the Palacio and went to my favorite gelato place because, oh my gosh, that gelato place was mind blowing. One of the few places I've been more though. I went there every day once I discovered it. Um, met the <laughs> daily hit. If of you gelato. have a kryptonite, it's it's gelato and ice cream. It is well, and especially if it's really really good. And this place was like really epic. And I told them, I'm like, I'm yelping about you. I'm telling people in the states about you. Um, they thought I was kind of nuts at first, and then they realized I was serious. And then, like, literally, the owner came out. And then said, they thought you were nuts and serious. <laughs> nuts and serious at the same time. Um, but anyway, so I had my daily hit of gelato from Gelat Gelatopia. Uh, there's multiple locations, but that one in Porto is the original. Um, and then I'm on the street and I see this crowd of people and I'm like, okay. And including some of the university students who look like they literally just walked out of Harry Potter um, because they've got like suits <laughs> and capes on. And I'm like, there's something seriously weird going down here and, and like truck TV trucks and stuff like that. And this car pulls up and this guy gets out a tall, attractive looking man. I'm like, gosh, he looks familiar. Where have I seen him before? Now I am within like touching distance of him. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've seen his picture. I think that's the mayor of Porto. So I turn to someone next to <laughs> him. I'm like, is that the mayor of Porto? And they're like, yeah. How'd you know? Cause they knew from my accent. I'm clearly not from around there. And I'm like, I just right. saw his picture an hour ago in the Palacio de Bolsa. <laughs> So That's yeah, so, so I was within distance. Yeah, if I had seen him a day before or even that morning, I would have had no clue who he was. I'm like, okay, yeah, right. famous <laughs> guy. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, that happens. You probably have run into someone famous and you didn't realize it. Yeah, well, and to the thing that at that Port, Porto is the second biggest city in Portugal, which would be like LA here. Now, there's no way that Ragosa or Garcetti or any of them are walking around without a huge security detail. Nope, not that. Right. Porto, like he's just like hanging out. These random people are walking up to him and hugging him. This one woman was like losing her mind, like crying <laughs> and giving him flowers and telling him how wonderful he was. I, you know, it, it seemed like she really liked him. Wow. I don't speak Portuguese, but, uh, but yeah, she was showing him pictures on her phone, and it, like oh my it was totally approachable. And I'm going, yeah, that would never happen here in the states. <laughs> no. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wow, but, but that was a long answer to say yes. The the more that the Moorish influences all over the place, and the time, like I've got easily fifty pictures of different. Like one morning, I just was like, I'm going to take pictures of different colored tiles on my my dog, and yeah, fifty pictures later, I'm like, what am I going to do with this? I mean, there's co- <laughs> at least a half dozen coffee table books on just Portuguese tiles. And I know that because one of my artist friends was like, oh yeah, I've got several books on Portuguese tiles. And I'm like, of course you do. You're an artist. So 
but it's really, really neat. So yeah, so, so we left off. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, so yeah, so whenever you get the chance, don't you know? It, somebody says you should see the Chamber of Commerce. Do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, Emily was asking about how far Sintra was from everywhere else. Um, do we? We should, probably should talk about the Pena National Palace. Yeah, and that's the one that was the one that had like six different castles within it. And it's got a, and the exterior definitely has that Moorish influence. It's not nearly as ornate as some of the, I mean, in Sintra or in this greater Sintra area, there are more than at least six major cap palaces you can visit within an hour's drive. Um, but the Sintra, the, the Pena palaces, the national palaces in the heart of Sintra. And it, it, it's, it's definitely eye catching because it's at the top of the hill. Um, but it's not necessarily as, you wouldn't get that Cinderella vibe from it, but it does have that, that those gorgeous arches. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I love. Oh yeah. That, that, oh, it's just, it's so neat how, how those, you know, the, the cultures just kind of intertwine in interesting ways. Okay. I have a question travel related, or obviously this is all travel related, but like logistically, I guess <laughs> um, is Portugal. Are they, I, Okay. Did you use cash or card or a mixture of both? Um, that that's my question. <laughs> like, how did you pay for things, and how easy was it to get like cash out, or if you needed it, things like that? I did. Um, I am a horrible advanced traveler, um, but <laughs> I, so I completely forgot to get euros before I left, um, and I forgot that I had euros for my last European vacation back in the Stone Age. So, but I did get euro. So I did get some cash out um, from an ATM using one of my debit cards, and that wasn't a problem. Uh, but yeah, I had no problems using my credit card. It was easily, like, gleefully accepted in many places. Um, oh, but it awesome. always helps to have a little bit. It was just easier to have a little bit of euros on me, especially because I'm a big street vendor kind of person. So it's just, mm-hmm. and if you're going to buy just like some postcards and stuff under, you know, five euros, having some cash helps. Um, and there's certain things, I'm trying to think if there was ever a time where I only, I think there was one place where you had, yeah, there was one restaurant where they only took euros that you couldn't pay in credit card. But for the most part, you could take c- cards, no problem. And, and yeah, they were equal opportunity. <laughs> well, nice. I will Great say, to hear. <laughs> those who haven't traveled internationally since COVID, um, and people like me who don't always plan in advance well, it, it required a little bit of thinking in advance because, you know, I had to get my COVID test. There's paperwork I had to do with the country of Portugal beforehand um, and had that all set. I had, and I had it in print and saved to my phone just in case um, that, you know, they check in it when you're going in through customs. The other thing is you've got to have going to the country, you had to have a COVID test within 72 hours. Well, me, because I get super literal, I'm like, is that within 72 hours of my departure flight or when I arrive? <laughs> right. Because we're on a plane essentially for 20 hours. So I didn't want to get there and be like, okay, your test expired, but it was good right. when I left LA. Um, so I, of course, but I had to have the results in time to leave. So, uh, so props to, to the yeah. testing at UC Irvine, um, because I got my, te- my, my results really fast. Now coming back, 
the U.S. government wants you to test within 24 hours, right. uh, which is much harder. Now, I'm really glad that my last city was Porto because they had in the city of Porto six, at least six different information set stations that you can't miss because there's a huge eye on them. And they they were really good about recommending where you can get a test. So I got a test done um, and, and they 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 do tourists. So I got my PCR test done, um, 15 euros and I got the results within 45 minutes. Um, oh, nice. so that was really helpful, but, but that's the thing to think about in terms of traveling internationally is yeah, being, being, and I had it once again, I got my results via email and I printed it off because it just made it easier when I went through immigration coming back to show them my results. Um, but super important and, and they are not messing around when it comes to, I mean, they, cause part of me is like, okay, people require these things, but are they really checking? Oh yeah. They really checked. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually our friend Sean, uh, missed his flight back because he couldn't get his PCR test quick enough. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We, when he, he mentioned it on the podcast is that he, um, he was in Florence and he came back. I think he was on the train late at night. Oh. And so the train didn't quite make it in time to get to the pharmacy. So we got to the pharmacy and all the pharmacies were closed. He went all over looking for a pharmacy, like a 24 oh, and he no. just couldn't get a test. So we actually missed his flight and he had to take a different flight. Yeah, that was my worry, you know, and, and so I was really, you know, the day before I left or the day before the day before I left, I was inquiring because I'm like, I need to get these. And a lot of the international airports, yeah, they'll test you at the airport and do a rapid test and you're paying $200 for it. And I'm like, "Mm, no, that's money. And I I really want to have food. So, um, I didn't want to get it. Yeah. So I wouldn't spare my food budget for that either. I'm like, thank you. You just stuck a thing up my nose. And yeah, no, not so much. Um, (laughs) But yeah, for anybody who's planning to travel, I mean, Portugal, they're eager, they're open, but it does require planning ahead for folks who are more spur of the moment like me. Okay. Um, Actually, as a side note, Actually, we have a little bit of an emergency, and Chris is going to have to drop out of the podcast, but um, Emily and I will finish up the rest of the podcast. Don't worry. It's not a – I just got to go – sorry. Yeah, it's not an emergency, but unexpected detail, so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay. I don't want listeners to worry for my well-being. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm more worried about your kid, not it's you. She's okay. okay. I'm sorry to miss – um, the rest of this, but it's been I'm loving learning about Portugal, so please keep it up. You have the good work. You're, you're going to have to listen <laughs> with everyone else. Uh, uh, I'm going to be like one of the peasants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see you in a bit. All right, bye. Okay, so let's go into Porto. Oh, Porto was so cool. Okay, now here's the deal. Because um, I, I was really I, I can't say I was stressing, but I was try- as I was trying to plan out my limited time in Portugal, I knew I wanted to be in Lisbon and I knew I wanted to be in Porto, but I wasn't sure how to balance my time. Um, and I knew I'd be flying into Lisbon and flying out of Porto because I didn't want to waste time going back and forth. And then I saw, made my flights and then it was affirmed to me when I read uh, somewhere, one person saying, Lisbon is like Southern California, LA, and Porto <laughs> is like the Bay area in San Francisco. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need more San Francisco in less LA. That's Um, so funny. Okay. Lee. So tell us about your visit to Porto. Porto. Okay. So one of the reasons why I loved Porto is because it, it is just so much more laid back 
um, than, than Lisbon because Lisbon's a capital city. Um, and one of the things that I didn't realize, I knew, but I didn't know, know is JK Rowling, um, when she was getting her life together back, uh, after her, her marriage and all that, she went to Porto and she, she hung out in a number of cafes and in particular one bookstore. Um, in this, in, in, she allegedly wrote some of the, you know, the early Harry Potter books there. Now this one bookstore in particular, the Varia Lelo or Leo, um, is gorgeous and it boasts this double helix spiral staircase. Um, that is just, it's a, it, it's gorgeous. And there is some who say that that was her inspiration for some of what went into the architecture and descriptions in the Harry Potter books. Um, she has, she has been kind of cryptic about it, but this bookstore has gotten so much press from the, you know, or, you know, it's become so popular that people will literally wait one to two hours to go into the bookstore in their Harry Potterites to see it. Now they're a bookstore and they weren't really selling a lot of books because there are all these people who are just like all giddy about Harry Potter. So they started charging five dollars, five euros for folks to go in and then would credit people. If you buy a book, you get that five euro credit back. Um, and that's allowed this bookstore to stay in business is, and it's more than just the double helix stair, spiral staircase. I mean, that in and of itself is gorgeous. Um, but it's the, the interior is just, it's, it's, got this fun like art nouveau feeling to it and, and stuff like that so that would be that is one really cool thing the other cool thing um that is kind of tangential to this is near in that same area as that bookstore is um is a university and so uh what's interesting about this university is the students you know it's not like the students who we see at uci who are, um, you know, in their pajamas at best, uh, you know, running around, these students are in uniforms and their uniforms involve, you know, dark pants and a tie and capes. And so they literally look like they're <laughs> from Harry Potter walking around. And so all of their in these what, clothes. What, mm-hmm. what age level, what age is this that they're, they it, wear this uniform? This is students at university. University, university level. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Wow. University. Um, it, they, they have an academic uniform and it's, it, it's sim it's closer to like what you'd expect medieval robes to be, you know, um, uh-huh. they're these black cloaks and, and stuff like that with ties and the whole thing. I mean, and they've been doing it, um, especially at, you know, their oldest university for more than 500 years. Um, and so, so yeah, so when you're, especially in Porto, when you see this bookstore and you see these also university students walking around in their black coats and uniforms, um, you can't help but think, yeah, she was definitely influenced by, by <laughs> the folks out here. That's so awesome. yeah, so it's, it's really, really awesome. Um, so, and, and as truth be told, they are not required to wear the capes all the time and some students opt not to but but it is sort of like a when you think about it it's a kind of a prestigious thing because when you're walking around and you're wearing your cape and you're dressed appropriately people know you are in an exclusive exclusive university so right so yeah so cool so what, what other highlights 
were there. That that was one that I didn't expect. I mean, I kind of knew about the book I bookstore, but I didn't know about the the uniforms. Um, the other thing that I really didn't realize is how much of an influence um, Gustave Eiffel had in both Porto and in Lisbon. Um, in Porto, in particular, he he there's Portugal is known as the city of bridges because there are four or six different bridges through the length of the city um, across the Douro River. Um, one of the most famous bridges, the, the Louis the first bridge, that was at Ordon Luis Bridge. That was designed by a student of Eiffel, but Eiffel himself d- designed another bridge, I'm going to say up the river. Um, and so it's just really interesting to see. You know, and when you look at these bridges, both the one, you know, the Louis the First Bridge, as well as the one that Eiffel designed himself, you kind of and you think Eiffel Tower, you're like you totally see the influence um, mm. of the two. The other place that you know that he, you know, Eiffel pops up is um, back in Lisbon. There's actually this. Um, elevator <laughs> it sounds so dumb um but in the middle of the the tourist district there is actually this elevator it's called the santa justa elevator um and it's and it's near saint you know it's kind of like in the, the main square in baixa and you could take this it, it's about i want to say like maybe five or six stories up but it's this neo-gothic elevator that's over 100 years old that is it's just cool and it once again built by a student of Eiffel but you it's it's almost like the a mini Eiffel Tower in between two big buildings so um so that was kind of a surprise <laughs> leaning on its side <laughs> yeah yeah well it, it almost looks like the Eiffel Tower but at the top there's almost like a penthouse suite like it's like a floor as opposed to just being a total pyramid it's got like a hat on it if you will oh my gosh um, sorry i was looking up images to to visualize and in my eight hour layover in lisbon portugal i did get a chance to take it take it up so i that was just very fascinating because it is exactly how you described it it's just this elevator in the middle of the city (laughs) yeah right it's just right there you know and it's Mm -hmm. kind of funky and and it's gorgeous at night it's absolutely gorgeous at night um I didn't wait in line because there were other places I got great views for free. Um, but that's just me. But it was really cool to see during the day and at night. And it does. It just kind of sneaks up on you. And it was a great way for me to kind of, I get lost a lot. So I knew once I saw that, I had kind of had a way to to um, orient myself. I also go to a lot of churches. Um and, and I'll just walk into them for, you know, no uncertainty. Like, okay, yeah, but this is another cool church. Um and one of the churches that I really like was the Church of San Francisco. Uh, it is so gorgeous because it's it's really got it's it's got a lot of gold on it, some amazing wood carvings, especially the columns. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's it's just spectacular. And they've got this tree of Jesse. It's just like this huge sculpture that that basically like traces out um, the lineage of Jesus. And so, uh, and once again, back from the 1700s, but that was a fascinating church. And then there was, um, I'm trying to remember the other church. There was like a a four in one type of church, but you know, you you could tour the church 
then you could tour the crypts underneath where you could see like dead bodies and skulls. Then adjacent to the church, they had the narrowest building they said in Portugal, but definitely in Porto, which was five rooms stacked on top of each other, literally with a teeny, 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 like tiny staircase. And it was just this add on house where they could put visiting clergy in. It's definitely not a place you'd want to live because literally it's like, okay, I want something to eat. You've got to go up four flights of stairs to the kitchen and then down three flights of stairs to go to the living room. And that was kind of kooky. Um, but those, those would be some of the, like the things that I really found interesting, um, that, that were in, you know, Porto and Gaia, Gaia and, and just being able to watch the sunset. I mean, it's anybody who follows me on social media, like, the sunset pictures I took were spectacular. And it's not because I'm a good photographer. It's just the sunset over the Douro river is gorgeous. It's, it's amazing. And I took pictures. Um, my Airbnb was set inside the, the wall of the cathedral in the hill. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I was literally, I'd look out any of my windows and I could, I'm looking at the water. And so my sunsets and sunrises there were gorgeous. And then my last day I took, I walked over the bridge and when it's one of the things that people recommend is to sit on the hilltop in this park in Gaia and watch the sunset. And that was gorgeous. Cause you're just looking back at Porto and the lights and, um, that was really neat too. So, so yeah, so those were a few of my things I saw. So I'm, I'm, I'll think of like 10 more to be like, Oh yeah. And then you got it. There was this and the, that and <laughs> funiculars. Maybe, and, yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll have to do a second episode to get all those other things that, you might have missed but it's been amazing listening to you talk about Portugal I like I said I spent I had like an eight hour layover ish but probably only half of that if that was actually spent exploring the rest of that was like in and out of the airport so I definitely want to go back now after hearing everything that you've experienced Oh um, yeah, and make time for make time for Porto. I mean Porto was just and it's smaller so it's easier to get around and all right well thank you so much lee for sharing your travels with us we always love to hear your stories um and thank you to our listeners for tuning in let us know what you think you can contact us on our social media channels where you can find photos of our adventures from around the world interesting articles and more also, if you're newer to our podcast, check out some of our older destination podcasts on New Zealand, London, and of course, Southern California, just to name a few. Meet Us in Paris is a University of California, Irvine division of continuing education production. If you need a career boost, looking to increase your workplace knowledge or seeking a new profession, check them out at ce.uci.edu for the professional courses. And thanks again for tuning in. Bye. 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 Bye.